So if you have your Bibles, please grab them, and we will start our service here in the study of God's Word. I especially want to begin with thanking you, James. Thank you for a wonderful message last week. Uh, it was truly a, a message of encouragement and exhortation. <laughs> I was convicted as James uh, taught. I was convicted through the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I'll tell you, my head last week as I was watching from home on my big old TV was not in a good place. My head was, it wasn't good. Let's just put it that way. I was so upset that we couldn't be here. And it wasn't just that I couldn't be here, but nobody in our house or other houses could be here. And I just was, I just could not believe that. I was just, and I was sitting there that whole week and during that week, and I just, I'll be honest, I was listening to the lies that Satan was speaking to me about other people, about our calling here in Thailand and Myanmar. And I was asking why. Why does these things keep happening to us? If we're called here, we're supposed to be here, why aren't we here? Why did you allow this, God? Why, why, why? This doesn't make any sense to me. Why, God, are you allowing all of these things to take place. I, mean, I was thinking, you know, we hear the prayer request about the families. I'm like, what happens if a false positive comes back? Will they take one of my daughters? That was a fear that was in my own heart, in my own mind. The frustration, the anger, the distrust that I had for people, it was overwhelming. I will fully admit it. Um, where was common sense in all of this? As I looked at this whole situation, why would it, a person exhibit so much fear that they'd be blinded to make the correct choices? This is what's going through my mind. I was losing it, right? I was. I, I was listening to Satan and his lies not to trust God as he was working in our lives. I had taught two weeks before. Who remembers? Righteous anger. That's what I taught on. I had anger. I did have anger. But there was nothing righteous about my thoughts and my behavior at this time. It definitely was not righteous anger. But during this whole time, the Holy Spirit was working on me. And he brought a verse to me over and over again. It's a verse I knew. I knew well. I'm going to turn to it. Ephesians chapter four, 6, sorry. Verse 12, Ephesians 6.12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Just as James taught having head knowledge. I knew this verse. I think we all have heard this verse. We know this verse. And I had the knowledge of this truth in my mind, as I'm sure all of you do. But I even knew that this verse was applicable to the very situation I was dealing with. But I wasn't living it out. That's wisdom. That's the difference, isn't it? The difference between knowledge and wisdom. I wasn't using wisdom to live out what I knew to be true in God's word. It was all about what's happened to me, what's happening to my family. I had the worst case of poor me, poor me, poor me. Look at all these things happening to me. James asked in his message, Am I loving God, loving his people, and the lost? 
You guys remember that? I was not. I was not. I was sitting at home with the poor me's. I cannot believe I am quarantined. We didn't have COVID, and I was quarantined. My whole family, my whole team, and my friends. Thanks for the message, James. I needed that. Um, I needed to repent to those around me, my family, my team, my friends, and to God. I needed to stand on that truth of God's word, like the scripture in Ephesians. But I need to live that out and remember that I'm in battle with Satan, not the people around me. Not the people around me. And remember where that battle lies. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about flipping tables, right? I need to flip that own table in my own house and get rid of that. That takes us back to John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, where we were a few weeks ago. How Jesus came into the temple and he rebuked those around there that were turning his father's house into something it was never, ever meant to be. I mentioned again that Jesus had righteous anger. But remember, this was towards sin in the house of God. Big difference. I challenged all of you, challenged myself, to repent of sin, mainly fear. That was the main subject. A fear of not trusting God in the very situation I got stuck in the last few weeks. So I was preaching to myself in the future and didn't even know it. I should have listened. And I also talked about celebrating. Celebrating each day what Jesus has done for us. Being obedient to his word. Now today we're going to continue in John. As Jesus and the disciples are still in Jerusalem. In fact, they're still celebrating the Passover. So we're going to look at that today. Let's read and see what Jesus did after rebuking so many at the beginning of this festival. John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Because of the miraculous sign Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. As we look at these first two verses, the overall theme is trust. We aren't told of the details in these two verses, but Jesus obviously, according to these passages, was very busy performing different miracles and signs as he attended the Passover celebration. A seed had been planted in many people's hearts as they witnessed the signs that Jesus was performing. But we don't know any of them. We just read these two verses that many miraculous signs were performed. But I'll say this. Jesus didn't trust these. Remember these people here. These people at Passover. Who were these people? These were the same people three years later. What would happen? They would endorse Jesus being crucified. These same people. So Jesus knew he didn't trust these people. Jesus knew their hearts, but he still ministered to them. Think about that. Standing before all these people, ministering to them, knowing they were going to place you on the cross. This is one of the many qualities of Jesus that brings me to love him and increase my faith more and more and more. He knows. Jesus knew. He knows us. His example here really spoke to me. When we know that people are dishonest and their intentions are bad, do we still then love them as Jesus loved us? I want to say it again. 
when we know people in our lives, they're dishonest, their intentions are bad, but we still love them as Jesus loved us. That's what he shows in this. He says he knew each person's heart, but he still ministered to them and gave it an opportunity to know the gospel and know his love. Amazing. Great lesson for us as we dealt with it in our own house and dealt with our situation. Let's continue. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. A man here, according to all appearances, all outside appearances, would seem a righteous man, yet was not saved. So we see Nicodemus, he sought out Jesus. He responded to what he had heard or what he had saw, these miraculous signs that were spoken about in the previous two verses. And I also believe the conviction of the Holy Spirit was upon Nicodemus in some which way. So let's begin with understanding who is Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, a very influential man, a very wealthy man, very educated. We see his Nicodemus is Greek, so he's educated in the Greek. We also learn what? That he came to Jesus in the night? Why? I see actually two questions. Not only why did Nicodemus come at night, but why didn't he just invite Jesus to come see him at his place? Because I think that culturally probably would have been more appropriate, you know? You wouldn't go see uh, this random guy. He would say, send Jesus to my place. I want to talk to him. That would seem more logical probably in that culture. I'm not sure. Whatever the case is, he came to learn or to find out, to investigate who Jesus is. I think this is more important, honestly, than the why. Like, you know, why did he come at night? Or why did he go see Jesus instead of inviting Jesus? What's more important is that Nicodemus sought out Jesus. I don't know why he came at night for sure. There's lots of, you can read all sorts of commentaries. They can say maybe he was scared. Maybe he thought what people would think. I don't know. I think what's really important is that he sought out Jesus. And he went after him to seek out the truth. Who is Jesus? So Nicodemus then finds Jesus, and he begins a conversation with him. He calls him teacher, rabbi, and then he states to him what he believed. He said, I believe you were sent by God, and you're able to do miracles. Nicodemus seemed to believe all of this about Jesus, as many unsaved people believe about Jesus. They believe today that Jesus was a great teacher, Many people, Jesus was a great teacher. They even, some will even say Jesus was sent by God. Many will say that he supernaturally was able to perform miracles. So could you say that Nicodemus believed in Jesus? Did he give a proper description of who Jesus was? Yeah. Many today, maybe even some in this room would say the same as Nicodemus. I believe in Jesus, but they're not saved. Jesus knew This would happen. He knew what was going to take place. So I love that he knew that he faced this with Nicodemus, and he faces it today in the church and out of the church. Many people say they believe Jesus, and they have an understanding a little bit, not all, of who Jesus is, but they're not saved because they're not born again. So Jesus knew this was going to happen, and he gives us examples like the story of Nicodemus, like we're reading today, to help people better understand what it is to be saved. 
So Nicodemus, he believed because he was Jewish that he was saved. God's chosen people. But remember, Nicodemus wasn't just a Jewish man. He was a religious leader, a Pharisee. Yet, even in this, he still would not see the kingdom of God because of his status and who he was. I think that's a great message for all of us. Ready for this? Especially here in Chiang Mai. What a reason. I've been hearing so much of this lately from so many of the people here. What a great reason reading this to be out there evangelizing and discipling. This is why. Because just a person, just because a person says, I'm a Christian, or believes, they say, I believe in Jesus, or maybe they even say, I'm a pastor. I've met them. Or maybe they say they're missionaries. Or maybe they say, well, I go to church every Sunday. Or maybe I'm a preacher's kid. Or maybe I'm a missionary's kid. It doesn't mean they're saved. It does not mean they're saved. Even if they can properly describe who Jesus Christ is, it doesn't mean they're saved. There's only one way to be saved. Saved from our sin, which our sin will lead to death. That death is hell. I told someone I was going to use a four-letter word today. There it is, hell. Today, we're going to talk about hell. So let's see what Jesus has to say about having our sins forgiven and inheriting the kingdom of God in verse 3. Verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus begins this conversation with sharing the truth. Jesus knew Nicodemus. He knew what he was thinking and just brought the truth right then. I'm not going to completely explain just yet what it means to be born again, because we're going to get to that as we walk through these passages. But first, I want to state one fact that is very clear that Jesus states, and very simple. If anyone wishes to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and not spend eternity in hell, you must be born again. This verse is very clear. Turn to John 1.13, just back a page. Some of your Bibles, one thir- two pages of mine. John 1.13. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but with a birth that comes from God. There is no other way. There's no works. There's no other religion. The only way is to be born again. There's a lot of false teachings out there in the world. We're all familiar with them. They're trying to tell you how you can have eternal life. And they put different names on it, and different ways on it, but there is only one way. I hope some of you are curious to know what it truly means to be born again, or how to be born again. Let's look. Let's go to the scripture, verse 4. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? I imagine... Jesus' statement would seem strange. When we first read Nicodemus' response, we would think maybe he's being even sarcastic. Maybe. What do you think? Was he being sarcastic to Jesus? What do you mean, go back into my mother's womb? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? I don't think he was being sarcastic at all, actually. I don't think so. I believe he was seeking the truth. And Jesus saying to be born again to him made absolutely no sense. He didn't understand. Even Think of Nicodemus' background. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. Who remembers what they believed? Who knows a little bit about Sanhedrin? 
They didn't believe in the supernatural, did they? Thinking they, their thinking was logical. He was from a Greek background. He's very logical, works-based, much like many people today. He heard Jesus' statement and didn't think spiritually, but thought worldly. This wasn't how he was taught to think. I think like most of us, maybe how we're taught to think. So let's read Jesus' answer to his question in verses 5 through 8. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. Humans can't reproduce only human lives, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. It's interesting as you read this, and I was reading some commentaries. I didn't even pick up this myself, but Jesus' message transitions here. It transitions from first in uh, verse 3 from seeing the kingdom, but now to entering the kingdom, if you look at the verse. So Jesus is clearly explaining and showing us how to enter the kingdom of God. Eternal life in heaven. Again, you must be born again. There are no other paths, no other ways. I know that not everyone wants to hear that there is only one way to heaven. Also, they don't want to hear there's only one other option besides heaven. That's hell. There's only two options. So the real question is we know that there's two options, heaven or hell. So the question we must ask ourselves is where are we going? But I think I'm speaking to a lot of Christians, so then maybe you better ask yourself is, Where are those around me going? If you know the truth of this, what are you doing about it? Turn to Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. The scripture is clear. We are not fearful slaves. We need to get out and we need to be evangelizing. We need to get out and we need to disciple these new believers. Look back verses Back in John, look back at verses 6 through 8. Jesus explains that being born again, but he says firstly of water and then the spirit. There's many interpretations of this. Maybe each of you have a different one. I'm not even sure. Uh, What does born of the water mean? Some people would say this would mean water baptism. I've heard that. Some would even say maybe born of the word. Some would say, The water of cleansing is spoken of in Ezekiel chapter 36. Some of you may be familiar with that. Most people, and myself, I believe when it's speaking of being born of water, I think it's simply referring to a physical birth. Uh, This ties to Nicodemus' questions back in chapter 4, right? It ties back to that, I believe. Jesus explains that we were born physically into this sinful world, and then if we're to inherit the kingdom of God, we must be reborn spiritually of the spirit of god so i read this i want to read a quote from you from david guzik some of you are familiar with him he says jesus was emphatic in saying that man does not need reformation 
but a radical conversion by the Spirit of God. We must be born of water and the Spirit. So we are born into this world physically, and we belong to it until we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Then we are born again a new creation. We are washed clean from our sins, and then we belong to the kingdom of God. Jesus, he expounds on what this means in these passages, explaining that only humans can produce human life. But only God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit can produce a spiritual rebirth. Through our best efforts, we can never, ever give a new spiritual birth. Only Jesus can do that. Now, we've got to look at this analogy given, the one of the wind. So the Holy Spirit, we know the Holy Spirit exists. And I don't... I cannot completely explain the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I can't explain God because he's God. But we can't see the Holy Spirit. We can't see the wind. But we surely can see the effects of both in the world. We can't hear. We can hear and we can feel both of them around us. Again, we can hear and we can feel both of them in the world around us. So just because we can't see it physically or explain it, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I love the analogy he gives. Nicodemus and Jesus, they still have quite a bit more they want to say. Let's look at verses 9 through 13. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But, If you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. There's a lot in in these passages right here. I'm not going to touch on all of it, but I want to look at some of it. First thing I notice is grace. Like, what? Grace. Nicodemus was struggling. He didn't get it. He didn't understand. So Jesus continues to explain to Nicodemus. It's grace. It's mercy. I love this. Because, again, I see the character of Jesus right in these verses. It's shown to us. Jesus didn't give up on Nicodemus. He, As long as Nicodemus continued to seek Jesus to understand who he was, Jesus continued to reveal himself to Nicodemus just as he does for every single one of us. Maybe there's some here today who have questions about Jesus. Who is Jesus? What does it really mean to be born again? Keep seeking Jesus. He will keep revealing himself to you. He will always be faithful to reveal himself to you. I love this. It's a character of Jesus I just love. As I look again at these verses, Jesus did address Nicodemus with a little bit of rebuke in there. I do see that. Um, I mean... He should have. Nicodemus was a religious leader. He should have known. He should have saw this. Jesus tells him that the truth was known to him through, the, I believe, the miracles that he had seen and the study of the word, the testimony of God. Nicodemus should have seen this, but he didn't. The proof, Jesus was standing in front of him, and he didn't see this. He didn't see who he was. So how, if he didn't see him, how is he going to see these spiritual things? Again, there's a lot more in the scriptures, but this is so true for so many of us today. Many people grew up in Sunday school. They grew up in the church, and they still don't know Jesus, even though they've sat right 
among it their entire lives. Nicodemus was in the word. Jesus was standing in front of him, and he didn't see it. Plain view of Nicodemus. I just can't even imagine this. Jesus standing there, sharing the gospel with him, sharing the good news, saying you must be born again. And he had seen even the miracles, I believe. It says he probably seen the miracles that Jesus had. Maybe he heard about them. I'm not sure how it exactly went. We don't know. But he still didn't understand. His reaction should have been faith in Jesus. Seeing the word of God revealed to him, Jesus tells him, if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? We should see God even now in the physical creation of everything around us. If you can't see God in creation, you know, Kevin was teaching on Genesis. Six days. Six literal days. If you can't believe that, how are you going to understand spiritual things? I just, I believe, how will we see the Holy Spirit and see these physical things if we can't believe these earthly physical things? Again, there's a lot more in that passages, but let's continue to verse 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus uses this picture from the Old Testament to try to help Nicodemus understand an example of the work that Jesus would perform on the cross. A lesson for all of us. In this story, where many of us are familiar with it, people are dying. And Moses lifts, lifts up this bronze serpent, which represented a picture of the sin who, that had been dealt with. As the people, we know the story, as the people looked towards it, they were saved. Doing this obviously made no sense. Why would you do this? But their faith saved them. That's what they were saved by. They were saved by their faith. It's a picture. Just as this bronze serpent was lifted up, we know that Jesus would be placed on the cross and then lifted up to the right hand of the Father. And through faith, all of us that look towards Jesus will be saved. It was a picture. He gave this to Nicodemus, hoping to help him understand. Let's look at verse 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his only, sorry, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Everyone knows this verse. Maybe not in this version. Maybe. Everyone knows this verse. Jesus begins in this verse as I look at it with the why, then the how, and a promise. Through Jesus' death and his resurrection, all that come to faith are born again. We will have our sins forgiven, and we will inherit eternal life. But take a minute. I, this verse has been broken down by so many people. But I want, I want to look at the why. Why? Love. This is an action. I want you to be clear. Love is an action. Also remember who, who God did this for. Who were we, each of us, every one of us, before being born again? Think of that question. Now remember who Jesus is. Who's Jesus? We're going to go through all this. But before we do that, I want you to turn to Romans. Chapter 5, 6 through 11. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while 
we were still sinners. And because, and since we have become made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Thank you, Jesus. We were his enemies when he did this. I'm going to use an analogy that I hope some of you can relate to. And I'm going to ask kind of a difficult question. I want you to think of a person or persons, this person or persons, or a situation, even a, probably a person's better, that has hurt you most in your life. I know it's a difficult question. I don't want to think about stuff like that, but I think it's important in this situation. I want you to think of a person that's hurt you badly in your life, that was your enemy. It's not pleasant. I want you to think of that person as we go through this. Jesus hung on the cross. He, he took our sins. He took the sins of the world upon him. He was separated from God during this. The very people that he was doing this for were standing below him. These are the people I asked you to think about, the person that's hurt you. These are the ones that spit on him, the ones that beat him, the ones that ridiculed him, the one, the very ones who drove the hands, drove the nails through his hands and feet, the ones that placed him on the cross to be crucified. These were the very, very people that should have saw Jesus as the Messiah, the ones that should have recognized him, the ones that should have loved him. These were the people who Jesus died for, you and I. We are them people. This love, as I think about it, is just beyond my understanding. Now, we remember the p- person that's hurt us. Now, I, I want you to think about something a little better. Think about the person that you would love the most in the world. There are many parents here today. I think this reference is especially applicable to parents. But think of a person that you love. I think a love for a child is unlike any other love that we can have. Do you truly understand what God did for you? Jesus gave his son, Jesus, in your place. While we were still his enemies, we were the people at the foot of the cross that had nailed him to the cross. Not literally, but through our sins. I have a son. Many of you had children. Could you imagine what God did to give your child, so your worst enemy can have an opportunity to have his sins forgiven. I can't understand that kind of love. Can you imagine how much God loves you that he would give his child so that you can have life? He gave his son. I think we say it all the time, right? I don't think we comprehend that. As parents especially, what it would be to give your son in that position. God did this for you. He gave his son for payment for your sin while yet you were still an enemy. I just can't imagine giving your child so that a person who, that person I mentioned, that person that hurt you, giving your child so that person could be saved from the penalty of their sins facing an eternity in hell. That's what Jesus did. This is how much Jesus loves you. This is, you know, we know how much it cost God. You know that song, we don't know how much it cost? We know how much it cost. It cost his son, Jesus. So as I say that, please reflect on the why, the how he did it, and thank God each and every day for that gift he has given you. Let's look at the last few verses, 17 through 21. Now we got, sorry, 
Yeah, 17 through 21. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caught... Sorry, I'm in Romans. That's why. Jack to John. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for they fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Again, there's a lot of different things in the verses there. We just talked about the gift, the gift of salvation, the gift of being born again. And I thought about it as we looked at the, I look at these last few verses. It kind of goes back to being a parent again, but it could apply to anyone. What do you say to a person after you give them a very expensive gift? Maybe a lot of parents, you know, you give like your kids maybe a new phone. Maybe you give them a nice knife. I don't know. I mean, you give them an expensive, valuable gift. What do you say to your someone, typically your children, but it could be anyone? If it's really valuable, what would you say? To, even if you gave it to an adult, you might want to, them to know the value because so they would what? They would take care of it. They'd keep it. They'd take care of it. I mean, you'd be like, I don't know. What would you say? I've recently gave some expensive gifts to my children for their birthday. I'm like, I gave conditions. I did. I gave conditions. I explained the cost of the gift and the responsibility to take care of the gift because it was expensive. I wanted to take care of it. But what did God say after giving the greatest gift ever given? What did he say? That Jesus didn't come to judge or condemn you, but to save you. The only condition is to truly believe and place your faith in Jesus. To place your faith in Jesus, to know that he is God, to know that you are a sinner in the need of a Savior, knowing that Jesus paid the price for each and one of our sins on the cross, and then he was resurrected, defeating sin and death, but then being born again. We also can join in that resurrection. We can be born again, joining in that defeat of sin, that defeat of death. And then a new creation, brand new. Make sure you understand that. Brand new creation through believing in God's one and only Son. Faith in Jesus. I love this. The only judgment or condemnation is those who reject Jesus. They choose to serve their sin. They choose to serve the world. A choice at some point has to be made. Jesus or the world? Heaven or hell? Choice is yours. The gift of eternal salvation, of having your sins forgiven, has already been paid for. It's sitting there. All you got to do is grab it and say, Lord, I believe. I want this free gift. It's free to you. It wasn't free to God. He paid a great price. And remember what he paid. Jesus has given no other requirements to have your sins forgiven. Just turn from the world and turn to faith in Jesus. Now, many of you here today have placed your faith in Jesus. But what about those around you? What about all the people that we interact with? I said it earlier. Well, we love the lost as God loved you. Well, we go out and share how much 
They're loved by God that he gave his only son. And I say we say that so often, but do we realize the gravity of what he did? This is how God loved the world. He gave his only one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. The title of the message was How Can This Be? This is how it can be. Through faith in Jesus Christ. And I go back to that scripture in Romans. We are not fearful slaves. Get out. Go evangelize. Go out. Evangelize to the lost. Go out. Disciple new believers. Go explain to them who they are in Christ, that they have joined in that resurrection, that they are a new creation. I hope as a, I close here with this that we would all reflect on that and just remember truly, truly the price that we were bought at. I think we read passages like this. I mean, everyone knows John 3.16. Probably one of the first verses everyone memorizes, right? I can't even read it right out of my translation because I had to memorize it as a kid, so I mess it up when I read it out of this translation. But we just say it. But really, really reflect on that and meditate on that verse and think about what that means. I mean, think about it in today, to give your child up like that. It's amazing. I mean, it's just... I just say, I can't even explain it that. It's just amazing to think about that, what God has done for each one of us, the love that he has for each one of us. So I know there's some here today, maybe that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that are not born again, that have not become a new creation in Jesus. It's a choice. While we place our faith in Jesus Christ, or it's placed somewhere else. It's placed in the world. We have a decision to make. And, you know, I don't preach like this always, but this is what the scripture led to me. It's a choice. Heaven or hell. It's sin or it's Jesus. It's a choice we make, but it's a free gift. I ch- Just think about that. I know the Holy Spirit spoke to several people uh, in the last few weeks. And I just pray that you would respond to that. I can't save you. I can't even call you to be in salvation, but the Holy Spirit can. I know a lot of people, they get up, I'm going to give a message of a save. I can't do that. The Holy Spirit can, though. And I believe he has spoken to many people. Free gift to salvation. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I don't know if that's a difficult message, talking about hell, talking about sin, talking about choices, Lord, and there's only two. Place our faith in you, Lord, or face the consequences for our sin. Lord, I've chose... Lord, and to place my faith, to repent of my sins, to turn towards you, Lord. I just thank you for what you've done, Lord. I know it's just a, I think about it, Lord, and I just thank you, and I praise you, and I worship you, Lord. And I just, I can't even fathom what you did for me. While I was still your enemy, you gave your son and allowed him to be placed on that cross, beaten, whipped, mocked, nailed to a cross, but that wasn't even nothing compared to what he faced as The sins of the world were laid upon him and he was separated by you as he cried out to you, Lord. He did this for us. He did this for everyone in this room, Lord. And all he asks is that we truly believe and place our faith. Not just believe that He Jesus was a person or that he even performed miracles, Lord. To believe on him as our Savior. To believe that we are sinners in the need of a Savior. So, Lord, I just recommit this to you. 
I just thank you, Lord, as I know that your Holy Spirit has spoken to so many people. Lord, is from online to here, Lord, that we would just truly cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I love you, Jesus. And I want you to be Lord of my life. I commit myself to you, Lord. I surrender myself to you. Please show me, Lord. Make me a new creation. I want to join in that resurrection, being saved from death, being saved from my sins, Lord, and inheriting the kingdom of God, inheriting life in heaven, the place of no more, where there's no more tears, no more fear, no more disease, just your unconditional love. Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit continues to minister to everyone here. And again, Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, Lord. When I say that, I just try to grasp what that is, Lord. So I praise you and thank you, Lord, for this story about Nicodemus, a man who was seeking you, and you continued to reach out to him. And we know the stories of later on, Lord, as he was there at your burial, Lord. So, Lord, I praise you and I thank you, Lord. I just continue to ask for your Holy Spirit to speak to everyone here as we continue our service and worship. Lord, I just pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would just convict everyone here, Lord, that we would just turn to you. And, Lord, if there's, maybe we're saved. We have been born again. But, Lord, I just pray, Lord, we'd re-just dedicate all of our life to serving you, to share with others what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.